Well, good morning. We are wrapping up our study today of the practices of the Christian life, and today we're going to take what most people would probably call one of the, the most significant, the most meaningful, the most impactful practice of the Christian life, that of worship, Christian worship. We're going to use the uh, the Palm Sunday narrative, the Palm Sunday event to get at it, so let's hear that. This is from Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he had come near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Let's take a moment and pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for letting us gather this morning to hear your word. We pray that as we would do so, you would work through that word so we have true faith in our hearts. Do not let me, your servant, stand in the way of your people hearing your word, but rather, by that word, come to them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to get started today, I'd like to ask you to do a favor for me, to do something for me. First of all, please name an item in your life um, that is worth very little to you. And then tell me how you feel about that item. When's the last time you talked about that item? And what did you last say about that item? Uh, so you can open up your study notes if you'd like in your service folder and follow along. You can fill in those those questions, answer those questions right there, write those down for us. Um, and I'll give you just an example so you know what I'm kind of hunting at. In, in my life, for example, I might think of an as far as an item that is worth very little. I had this candy dish, a, a penguin I think it was. Uh, you know, it looked kind of like a coffee mug. The body was bigger than the, the, the bottom. Uh, and it I really didn't use it for anything. I thought it was kind of silly, but somebody had given it to me and so I I didn't want to get rid of it. Uh, I, how, that's how I felt about the item. When's the last time I talked about the item? Well, I talked about it about two months ago because uh, it fell and it broke. Somebody knocked it off. And, and what I said about it was, well, hey, this is great. Finally, I have an excuse to get rid of this thing and I don't need to feel bad about it. So that was what I happened. All right, why don't you take uh, 30 seconds or so here and write for yourself down an item that's worth very little to you. When's the last time you talked about it, how you feel about it, and what you said about it?
Okay, now I'd like you to do the opposite. Think about an item that's worth a fair bit, a, you know, a good amount to you, and make it a tangible item. I don't want anything intangible like, you know, your family or your reputation, something that you can't touch. Make it something that's real and physical. Um, and say there what you feel about that item, when's the last time you talked about that item, and what did you last say about that item? Uh, for me, an example might be my bike. Uh, you know, I know that for a lot of people, their bike's probably not worth that much, but my bike's probably worth about as, as much as my truck. Sometimes I wonder if my truck shouldn't be in the junkyard. It might be worth more there. Um, anyway, and, you know, so I feel quite strongly about my bike. I enjoy it a lot. Love to, to bike around on it. I took it downtown just a few days ago to meet up with some people. And uh, they commented, oh, you rode your bike here. Yeah, I, I did. You know, I really love riding around. And my kids just a few days before that asked if we could go on a bike ride. And that was great. So that would be how I what I like. That's something that's worth a fair bit. Take 15, 20 seconds and write down for yourself. What's the bottom line? When something is worth a lot to you, you praise it. The more value it has, the more you praise it. That's just a basic principle when we handle things. And so here's the, the thing that God calls us to do today. He invites us to become public praisers, public worshipers of the ultimate king. And that's what I want to invite you to do, to become a, a greater public praiser of the, the true king. We're taking a look at the triumphal entry of Jesus. This is a story that we often call Palm Sunday because the people who were there, we hear from the Gospel of John, they cut palm branches off of a date palm trees and they laid them down on the ground in front of Jesus. They were doing this to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem at the end of an incredibly successful ministry. He had spent three years doing professional or public ministry work and it was fairly good. I mean, he had his setbacks along the way, don't get me wrong, right? He faced some significant conflict with the Jewish religious leaders. They really never agreed with him. They never signed up for his program, so to speak. Um, he had a tough time with his disciples. He lost a lot of disciples along the way, uh, most particularly his own brothers. They, they just refused to get on board with his message and his ministry. But by and large, he was quite successful. He fed thousands of people. He raised the dead. Um, he, he healed the sick, you know, and he, he became quite famous, quite well known all across the Galilean region. And probably most noteworthy, most significantly, is that in the period of three short years, he raised up 70 men and probably some women who would, who would work for him who would be public ministers on his behalf. And they could do everything that he, he would do. They would preach, they would teach, they would heal the sick. I mean, these guys were working on his behalf in the public ministry. It was pretty pretty phenomenal, honestly. Um, it's not something that you know we see too often because just most people don't want to be that. They're not, they don't step up like that. 
So this is how successful Jesus was in his ministry. And now he's wrapping it up and he's on his way into Jerusalem. And the people, as he comes through, they respond appropriately to him and to his work. Um, verse 35 tells us how they, they took their cloaks off and they threw them on the ground. They found these date palm trees and they cut the, the palm branches off and threw them on the ground. And then they, we hear with this incredibly triumphant note, they, they shout a great welcome and they say to him, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They are so excited to have him come. This is their worship. This is all a part of worship. Worship takes everything that you are. It takes everything that they are. And you can see that in what they do. They take off their clothes and they throw them in front of Jesus. That's their physical actions or their will. right? If you are going to worship, you've got to be obedient. You've got to submit and obey. They also engage their emotions. We hear that they joyfully praise Jesus. So, right? so you've got to have some emotions engaged in worship. Finally, they praise him for the miracles that he has done. And that's their minds engaged in worship. You know, if you're going to worship somebody, you can't just willy-nilly, randomly pick whomever you want to worship. you gotta, you got to plan it, right? you got to think about who you're worshiping and why you're worshiping. And so there's your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's every single part of you. It has to be engaged in worship. Now, realize what that's saying or what that means. If you say to yourself, I agree with Jesus' teaching, but you never ever see the beauty of the Lord in such a way that it, maybe it makes you weep, or, or you are overcome with joy and gladness, well then, if, you've, if you have never had that, right? If, if you're thinking, but you never shout joyfully, then is that really worship? Or if you get really emotional, but you say, you know, I don't want to I don't want to have to think about this. I don't want to have to go to some sort of a group or a study where I might get challenged about what I think, where I might feel a little uncomfortable because people think differently and I might have to think then carefully about what I'm doing. Well, then, is that really worship? Or if you have great thinking and feelings, but let's say you don't change, right? Week after week, day after day, you're just as grumpy, you're just as anxious, you're just as bitter, you're just as harsh, you're as out of control as ever. If you're feeling but there's no submitting or obedience. Is that worship? Worship takes your whole person, it takes everything you are to come together. And then when you worship, you give ultimate value to something. Worship gives and ascribes ultimate value to someone or something. Verse 38, the people say, glory in the highest. This isn't a little bit of praise, a little bit of glory, like the end of soccer camp comes where we, we pass out awards and we say, hey, most improved, congratulations. This isn't final four glory. This isn't even um, purple heart glory. This is more than Nobel Peace Prize glory. This is ultimate value. They're thinking, they're treasuring, they're reckoning the excellencies of God. They're, they're thinking about God and his greatness. And there's this explosion of emotion. There's this explosion of life change in their hearts. Thinking about the excellencies, the value, the worth of God. Uh, when it explodes with joy in your life changes, that's, that's worship. That's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods or... You must worship me rather than worshiping anything else. Notice how in the first commandment, God 
holds out no possibility that you're worshiping nothing. He says, either you're worshiping me or you're worshiping something else. But there's no way that you can worship nothing because everyone ascribes ultimate value, ultimate worth to something. There's something in your life that it has the highest value. It has the highest worth. Maybe it's your Maybe it's your lover, maybe it's your career, maybe it's your job, maybe it's your profession, maybe it's the recognition you get for your profession. Everyone has something that if you say, if I have that, if I achieve that, then my life is worth something. I'm going to shape my life to get it. Do you know what you're doing then? See, you need to know what the, the word worship comes from. The word worship comes from two Old English words, meaning worth, shape. To be shaped by the worth of something. That's what worship is. It's to look at something and to say, that thing is so valuable. If I have that, then I'm worth something. Then I mean something. And when you say that, you're shaped by the word of, worth of it. Everybody does that. Let me give you an illustration. Let me give you an illustration. Let me give you an illustration, like I said. So I, this is something I saw just the other day. The, a woman had uh, a great-grandfather, I think it was, who fought in one of the world wars. And she was taking his uniform to the consignment shop for resale. She didn't need it anymore, you know. His cap had a, a patch sewn right over the center of it uh, in the middle. And when she went to hand this cap over, you know, he had one of those soft caps, not the hard, hard hats, um... When she went to hand it over to the clerk at the resale shop, she, you know, she lifted it. She was, she noticed this significant heft in it. it. It weighed quite a bit, right? So she took the cap and she cut the patch off of the front of the cap. And behind it, she found a coin. She looked at it and she said, you know, oh, that's nice. But she didn't think very much of it. So she took it home. She put it on her dresser and she let it sit there. A couple days later, she thought, you know, maybe I should have this thing assessed, see if it's worth anything. So she took it to a pawn shop, and they said, oh, yeah, you know, it's maybe $10, maybe $15. Not big. So she put it on her dresser. She didn't. She kind of forgot about it. She didn't think much about it after that. Uh, sometime later, her daughter got a hold of that piece of money, and she started researching it. And she found out that that was not any coin. That was a pretty important coin. Uh, she said, hey, you know, maybe we should have this looked at by a professional appraiser. So she took it in. He put it under her, his micro magnifying glass. He looked at it really carefully. Then he looked up at her and she said, this is really yours? Right? Then you can tell that he starts to get excited about it. And so he, he pulls off a book or two off his shelf. He starts paging through them. Uh, then he gets a more high-powered magnifying glass. Then he, he pulls up some professional websites and he's searching through all of this stuff. And and, and he becomes more and more excited and agitated. He breathes more quickly. Little beads of sweat begin to form on his forehead. He realizes that this is a long lost, a very in historic coin that is literally priceless, probably worth something like, you know, a, a million dollars. What's going on here by it? Is He's assessing, he's reckoning, he's, he's considering the excellencies of that coin. He's, he's valuing it and... And as he's looking at it, the meaning of this, it just begins to explode in his life. He says, think about what this means. And you know what is going to happen then? The, the, the worth of that coin is shaping him. He's getting, 
he, he's getting excited about it because of how much it's worth. And, and she doesn't understand this. She's not excited about it at all. But the worth of it is, is shaping him. So what do you think he's going to do? He's going to come out and he's going to evangelize her, basically. He's going to say to her, you woman, you, you didn't even realize what you had. This coin, this is, this is incredible. You're so foolish. You were going to give it away for $10 or $15. But, you know, you are now richer than you ever imagined. You have more than you ever possibly dreamed or hoped to have. And, and when she begins to be shaped by the worth of it, wow. You know, she goes home and she puts it down on her dresser and she thinks about it and she begins to ponder what it means. And she dreams, for better or worse, of all the ways that she could spend the money. Now, do you know what the Bible is saying about you and me? A lot of people in the world will say, I believe in God. But their life their life hasn't changed. That message hasn't exploded in their life. You're, you're just as selfish. You're, you have no joy. You're, maybe you're just as bitter or anxious or everything else. Why is that? It's because God is like that coin. He's in your life, but you have no sense of his value, his worth, his excellency, his beauty. It's never dawned on you. You haven't reckoned it. And that's the other more important part of, of worship. You see what the Lord rides into town on? The Lord of the universe who holds all things in his hands, he, he rides into town on a donkey. And why is he doing that? It's because he said to his disciples, you go ahead and, and you find this donkey, this colt over there, and you tell them that the Lord needs it. The Lord of the universe, he's, he's had three years of incredibly successful ministry, and yet what does he have to his name absolutely nothing. He is dirt poor. He is poorer than poor. He has nothing to his name so much that he needs a donkey so that he can get into town. The Lord of the universe is worthless. He's worth nothing and he needs a donkey to die. He's lost it all. All of his worth. All of his value. That's amazing. He's going to look at everything that he he has everything that he's going to give, and he's willing to do it even though he's worth nothing. And then he's going to say about it all that after he has suffered, that the life of light has come and he's satisfied. As there's a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, it says that, that after he has suffered, that he will be satisfied. Now, how can the Lord of the universe have absolutely nothing to his name and, and yet be satisfied? How can he look at everything he has and say, the results are so valuable that it was all worth it? These results that I've gained from what I've done, I'm satisfied by the work because it's all worth it. What's he talking about? What made it all worth it? What was so worth it that Jesus was willing to to give up everything so that he could have it. It's you, isn't it? Aren't you his coin, so to speak? Aren't you the one thing that was so valuable that, that you were worth it? Second Peter chap first Peter, excuse me, chapter two says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's treasured possession. 
Jesus looks at you and he loves you and he adores you and he is moved by love of you so much that he was willing to, to lose everything and still think that you are worth it. In other words, he treasures you. And when you see him treasure you at infinite cost to himself, that'll make him your treasure. That's true worship. All true worship first begins by seeing in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, in the Word, just how much you are worth to God. You're his treasure. And that will make him your treasure. So here's what I think we could do to remember this today. Let's take a palm branch home. Why? Because a palm branch is worth nothing. Date palms were plentiful even in the ancient world. Everybody had them everywhere and, and they were worth nothing. And yet, they, they spoke of a very important treasure. When Simon the Maccabee came riding into, into Jerusalem to set Jerusalem free from, from the Syrian oppressors, do you know what the people waved to celebrate their freedom? Palm branches. And when the Jewish people made coins in the wars over against Jerusalem to establish their own identity and say, hey, here we are as an, a people. We're so, we're worth saving. We're, we're important. Do you know what they put on their coins? Palm branches. And when the Romans even made some coins down in Jerusalem, kind of in mockery of the Jews, but also to, to give a special coinage just for the Israelite or the Judean people, do you know what they put on those coins? palm branches. It was a way of saying, hey, this looks like nothing, but these people, they think they're valuable. They think they're worth something. And that's, it looks like it's worth nothing, but this branch, no, these people, they are worth everything. And when you realize that he needs you, that, that you are his treasure and his worth and his value, when you drive that into your heart, then you will worship. In Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian finally understands grace, he says this. He says, I'm accepted because of what God has done, and I no longer look at my work to get a sense of my worth. I look at what Jesus Christ has done for me. That's the secret of worship. You're his treasure. And that will make him your treasure. Let's pray. Lord, so many of us have, have taken you, but maybe when we comes to engaging our, our hearts and our minds and our persons in worship, Something's missing. Maybe we, we aren't willing to think about it. We, we lack the joy or we, we don't want to submit and obey. And so we aren't engaged our whole person in, in worship. Forgive us for this. And drive your worth. No, rather, yes, your worth deep into our hearts, deep into our minds, so that we see just how precious we are to you, how much you were willing to, to give up for us how you became worthless so that we could, you could have us and how much value we have, then we'll worship. Let's see that, that we're your treasure. 
so you can be our treasure, our highest treasure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.